to redeem us so that we can be free. Set free to serve the living God and enjoy him and live with him or for him forever. Well, you've already heard it and I'm sure you know it. But yes, today is Mother's Day. And so I everybody else has had their opportunity to wish you a happy, happy Mother's Day. And so I'd like to take that opportunity to wish you a happy and a very blessed Mother's Day. All the moms here. And uh, we do want to honor you this morning um, by means of, I guess, the, the giving you the best of both worlds. And that is the beauty of a flower and also the delight of a sweet. But not until after service. You have to sit through and endure a sermon before you can be honored in that way. And then also a, a decorative reminder of just your worth in God's sight. So all those things have been prepared for you. As a matter of fact, when we close our service, whoever does the announcements, I guess, is that you, Corky? Um, this morning, just like to ask that the mothers go first, to exit the building first. There'll be a little table set up for them out there with these tr- special treats on it. But just a small token of appreciation and a way for us to show that, yes, we honor motherhood at New Covenant Fellowship. <clears throat> and Brad... Um, made an interesting comment leading worship. He said, you know, try to be applicable to the season, but there just aren't really any worship and praise songs out there about mothers. And uh, that's correct. And there shouldn't be. Uh, Because the mother or, well, the mother in Proverbs 31 wouldn't have it because she would be too busy praising and exalting Christ and God the way it should be. We actually will be in Proverbs 31 this morning, so apparently God wants us to hear that. Brad read it. It is also a part of your decorative reminder that you will be given, and that was done before. Um, and I guess I give credit to Diana for, for that. I don't know if she wanted me to do that or not, but I just did it, so we'll for, hopefully she'll forgive me. But um, she picked that verse before she knew that I was preaching on Proverbs. So... It's pretty evident, I think, that the Lord wants us to hear this passage this morning. But it's kind of serious. So before we dive in there, let me just uh, start with a little bit of humor. So Lionel, Lionel calls home. He calls his mother. And he says, hi, Mom. How are you? It's Lionel. He says, oh, hi, Lionel. Uh, actually, I'm not too good. I'm, I'm feeling a little bit weak. Oh, Sorry to hear that, Mom. What's the matter? Is everything okay? Why are you feeling weak? She says, well, uh, I haven't eaten in 23 days. He's shocked. He's startled. And he's stammering. 23 days, Mom. What what is the matter with you? Are you okay? Is everything all right? What's what's happened to you? And she said, oh, well, I, uh, I didn't want my mouth to be filled with food when you should phone me. Now you get it. Okay, let's lighten it up even more with just good old-fashioned Jeff Foxworthy. If you know him, you'll appreciate this. If you don't know his kind of humor, you won't get it. But he says, moms will clean up everything. Scientists have proven that a mom's spit is the exact chemical composition of formula 409. And it will clean anything. (laughs) 
Mom can spit on a Kleenex and clean the rust off of a bumper. And then lastly, uh, little Billy walks into the bathroom when his mom was uh, getting ready. Um, She was putting cream on her face. And so he walks into the bathroom and sees her doing this and says, Mama, what, what are you doing? She says, well, I'm putting cold cream on my face. And he said, well, why, why are you doing that? She said, well, to make my skin look soft and beautiful. Said, hmm. And then she uh, took a Kleenex and began to take it back off. And he said, well, well gosh, Mom, are you giving up so early? <laughs> So we have been in Proverbs uh, a lot this year. I think it's only fitting that we stay in Proverbs and we just go ahead and use Proverbs 31 as our text for our Mother's Day message. Um, And as I think about this passage, I think how perfect it is for our times, because as I as I think about motherhood in the year 2016, there are two things that are needed for motherhood, or even really just womanhood in general. And that is just clarification, just direction from on high, if you will. Um, clarification of what it means to be a woman and what am I supposed to be doing with my life? And what about these thoughts I have? Is it okay to be a stay-at-home mom? Is it okay to want to have children? Is it okay not to want to have children? Is it okay to not even to want a family and just to seek after my own career? And so women, I think, are always looking for direction. And in our day, there are so many ideologies that pull us in different directions and really that are competing for what it means to be a woman, what it means to be a mother. I think our passage will offer us some direction in that way. And... Uh, The second way I think it will offer help for moms is just good old-fashioned encouragement from God's Word. And we've already heard this morning how moms need encouragement. Because uh, motherhood is hard. It is very difficult. And not only is it difficult, well, it's difficult, obviously. I think it's pretty obvious because a lot of um, moms just stay exhausted because they're pouring themselves out and pouring themselves out. But also along with that is uh, a job that because it's kind of a behind the scenes job. Yeah, like making breakfast, pouring a bowl of cereal for your kid or something like that. It's a behind the scenes job. It often does go unrecognized. All the sacrifices and all hard work that just go into a daily living are it's often a thankless job. And so I hope that our passage this morning offers both clarification and Encouragement to our moms here this morning, and I believe it will. What I'm going to do is go ahead and read it this morning. We've already heard it, but I'll read my version, the ESV, and then I'll just make some observations. It's not in the bulletin, by the way. There's no sermon title. I'll reveal that to you in a minute. And there's no points, although I have them. That's simply because I couldn't decide exactly what direction to take the message, so I didn't get the I didn't get the sermon information in time to Michelle by the deadline, so I just told her to put Mother's Day message. So, But here we go in Proverbs 31, verses 10 through 31. An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. 
the heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She's like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She's not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. And she makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband's known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all charm is deceitful and beauty is vain but a woman who fears the lord is to be praised give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates so what is this all about how do you encapsulate this passage with so many different things in it i looked at the different versions and a lot of our bibles have headings let's see what direction the um, scholars think this passage is headed looked at the cade the KJV, and it doesn't have headings, so it wasn't very helpful. If you look at the NIV, and it's entitled, The Wife of Noble Character. The NASB entitles it, Description of a Worthy Woman. My version entitles it, The Woman Who Fears the Lord. And the NRSV entitles it, Ode to a Capable Wife. So which one is it? It's all those things. They're all right. It's exactly what it is. It does cover quite a bit of territory. But when you put all of that together, you're left with what I am going to entitle my sermon. And that is characteristics of a noble woman. That's what this passage is. Characteristics from a of a noble woman. And I want to give credit to Jerem Bars for the inspiration for the direction to take this message. I really liked how I read a chapter out of his book and he kind of took a big picture perspective of this. And it really helped me uh, to gain a grasp on it. Jerem Bars is a professor at Covenant Theological Seminary, but he also heads up there the Francis Schaeffer Institute. And he is a relative of the former Francis Schaeffer. Um, This proverb is written... In the form of an acrostic. And you'd never know it by reading it because it is the Hebrew alphabet. And you take each letter of the Hebrew alphabet and the author um, attaches to it or uses that letter to show a characteristic of a noble woman or a woman that that fears the Lord. So it's really catchy 
in the Hebrew, but it's pretty much all lost in our translation. And it actually seems kind of choppy and random. He talks about this here and then he goes here and then he goes back to this. But that is what it is. It's an acrostic like like frog, you know, where you use letters fully rely on God. You lose you use letters to make a point. You also know that since we've been in Proverbs, that the way that this passage ends, really, the way the book ends is by no accident, because all along we've been talking about wisdom. And wisdom, the beginning of knowledge, is to fear the Lord. That's the aim and the goal of this book, is to teach us about it. And the beginning of that knowledge and wisdom is found in recognizing God in who he is and all his splendor and glory as revealed in Holy Scripture. And that's how this whole book closes. Uh, Also, in the early chapters, we read when we were talking about wisdom, how wisdom in the form of a female calls out from the streets to the young guys. Have wisdom. Follow me, not after folly, but hear my voice. I'm crying out to you. I'm speaking to you. Hear the voice of wisdom. And so this whole book closes with wisdom personified in this woman with with what it look. This book is or this passage is really what it looks like if a real person, a real woman would heed all the wisdom that we have learned in Proverbs and live a life that is lived in the fear and the knowledge of God. This is what it would look like. And so she is set up as an example for us. The good wife here is a correspondence to the wisdom that has been calling out. She's not an actual woman. You notice that she doesn't have a name and scriptures give names to women and often point out different characteristics that they have. But this woman doesn't have a specific name. She is more a compilation of all the wonderful characteristics that many of the women in scriptures do have. If you put all of those together and you just pack them in, you put them in this woman, this is what you would have. She exemplifies all of them. She models all of them. So she is has all of these wonderful attributes and I guess could say a model of what a woman was created to be. If she lives in the fear of God, this is a model of what a woman is created to be. So she's just being all woman here in this passage as she lives out. I think the important thing here to realize is that what she is doing is living out what it means to live in the image of God as created a female. He made them male and female. So she's a woman as God made her and as she should be. So as we consider this, I want us to look at four characteristics that we find in this passage. We're going to look at where she is. We're going to look at what she does. We're going to look at what she thinks and then what she speaks. Four different characteristics here. So first, where she is. Notice where this woman in this passage is. She is in her garden, if you will. Just last week, we touched on the cultural mandate when we were addressing primarily men. And God created them, male and female, and he placed them in the garden to work it and keep it. And it's this context that we have way back in in the beginning of time, the beginning of creation of humanity. It's this context. We're created in a certain way with a certain design to do certain things. 
Well, in this passage, we find this woman in her garden. She's in the sphere that God has placed her. And it's within the sphere of the relationships that are in her life. So God has commissioned man to uh, work and keep the garden, to remember to be fruitful, to multiply, and to take dominion. So we looked at last week how what that looks like for a man is that he's a man that stays at home as opposed to strays home from home and brings trouble upon his household. He, he wants his household to be safe and it was... The analogy of a nest. Those under his charge need to be warm and and protected and led. And that's what a man of wisdom does. And here we find this in the female form. Uh, She is there. She's working within the sphere of the household, within the relationships that God has placed her in. So Proverbs 31 woman is fully given to the relationships in which God has Set her as a reflection of the image of God. So there's this divine sphere that we have to operate in. It's where we're it's what we're born into. It's what we're brought into in this time and age. That's our divine sphere. There's certain people. There's a family that we're born into, whether we're daughters uh, being raised in it. In this case, it's now she's doing the raising. She's doing the nurturing. But it's the sphere of influence, people that we're close to, uh, that we we impact, that our actions, that our choices, the way we live will impact. And so she is in her little garden. She's working in it. She's keeping it for the glory of God. Uh, Verse one says that she's an excellent wife. That's her domain that she's operating in. And then other verses talk about in the household and how she cares for her children. So the relationships are with her family and then extends out even to her maidens, her servants in her household. She's caring for all of them, looking out for all of them, bringing order, managing it, maximizing it for the glory of God. So even her maidens are well taken care of. And then later on in verses 20 and I believe 27 talks about how she even extends this care and this nurturing attitude to the community. There are. Those that are poor and needy, she shares what she makes, her food. She shares her clothing and the linens with them as well. That's her sphere of influence. Those are the people that God has brought into her life. And she loves these people. She loves these people. And so they are feeling the effect of her deep, heartfelt love for them. They know that she's there for them. And therefore... They're able to thrive in this atmosphere that she has created for them. She doesn't just say the words, but she proves it through her actions. They are her utmost priority. Her husband feels so well taken care of because she communicates with everything she is and does that he is her priority. That he sits in the gates. He's able to expand himself to go farther because she does such a good job Within her role and sphere of influence and helping the household. He has a great reputation. She has a great reputation because he feels so safe with her, not worrying about where she's going to be, what she's going to do with her time. Is she chasing after other things? She's just set in her garden and she's working it and keeping it beautifully. And he's just able to launch. 
So he understands that he is her priority. The kids, they feel very well loved because there's this one big figure in their life that is so important that is committed absolutely to taking care of them. That's exactly what children need. They need to know that there is somebody because they come into this world so needy. Moms know that. Uh, you don't get breaks when you want breaks because the kids are so needy. When they're hungry, they, need, they want to be fed. And they will cry until you bend to their will. So there's, there's the mom. Fitting, filling that need in that sphere. Loving from the bottom of her heart all those that are in her charge. Expressing that to other. What is she doing here? She is reflecting the image of God. It's just an individual that is... Reflecting the image of God. How so? We talked about this in Sunday school, ironically. God is love. Ephesians 5, be imitators of Christ. God is love. Uh, Within the Godhead, within the Holy Trinity, is this incredible, tight-knit relationship of love and purity. And it's all about giving. It's all about outwardness. And God shares that love with humanity, though we don't deserve it. He brought us in and invites us into this relationship. Isn't that incredible? That we can be a part of this relationship of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Then he creates us what? To love. To love him and to love our neighbor as ourself. The two commands, all of the other commands of Scripture can be summarized in that. You are here on this earth. To love God with all your heart and to love your neighbor as yourself. This is exactly what she's doing as a reflection of God. She's loving all of those in the bottom of her heart that God has put in her charge. Caring for them as he cares for them. So she's in the name of love looking out for the well-being of others. And that's what a definition of love. It doesn't seek its own. If it doesn't seek its own, then what's it doing? It's seeking the well-being of others. How can I benefit you? So she is also personally fulfilled in this. She takes joy in this. There's no, there's no attitude. There's no air of attitude in this passage. Because she truly loves what she does. And she's fulfilled in it. And I would say because she's doing what she was created and designed to do. And when we do that, when we walk in step with God's holy law, according to our divine purpose, it goes well with us. That's what scripture teaches us. It will go well with you. So it goes well with her. Understanding this is very, very important. That she is actually fulfilled and satisfied in reflecting the image of God in this garden, in this sphere. Because I think the world tells us just the opposite. Actually, if you think about motherhood specifically, the message today, and I know it, and I'm not a woman, but you you can't help but to read what's out there. Here is the message that is heralded in our day. And that is that women need to be free from domesticity, from the domestic responsibility. They need to be set free from the burden of Sometimes marriage, they need to be set free from the burden of family so that they can reach their fullest potential. 
Because it is the family that is holding women back from being all that they can be. That is pretty much the message that is heralded out there today. Jerem Barr says, this is not the foundational issue of the discussion, you know, how you can advance yourself or reach your greatest potential. It's not the foundational issue. The error is in what it means to be human. Our culture makes the mistake of believing that fulfillment comes to us when we live to love and serve ourselves. Scripture teaches that it can only come through loving and serving other people. This is true for men and women. This is the way God is and the way he designed us to be. You see how that takes this big picture approach and helps us not get bogged down with the little arguments about, well, what moms are supposed to do. And you're not a good mom if you're not doing this. Or even the in the household, out of the household, should should a mom ever work? It, it kind of supersedes that argument and and sheds the womanhood in the big picture in that you are fulfilled according to Scripture Not by seeking your things for your own gain, not by seeking your own self-glorification, male or female, which I think is the lie that the world feeds us in different ways according to our gender. In order to be fulfilled, in order to reach your potential, you need to do this and have this. And it's all about us. If we fall for that, we have just cut ourselves short Of feeling truly fulfilled according to what God says. The world says, here's what you need to be fulfilled. And if you're not doing this, you'll never be satisfied. God's already laid it out. How to be fulfilled. And that is by walking according to his design. By living in the image of Christ and reflecting who he is. That's how we're the most blessed. By giving ourselves away. Not by hoarding and taking all that we can talk about a conflict and a, a, a difference in views of life. Understand that what it wasn't so much like this when I was a kid. You still you still heard the Christian values come out, but you very rarely hear Christian values seep out of popular culture today. In the songs that you listen to and the movies that you watch, there's very little Christian values there to be had. Our culture has changed drastically. So that's just how important God's word is to us. Because if we listen to that long enough out there, we're going to start obviously to believe the lies. Yeah, it's got to be true. And then the world uses media and Hollywood to show you this is true. Of course, it's all make believe. We, we, that works both ways as well. So this is how she reflects the image of God and Within this sphere, she is worshiping the Lord. She's bringing glory to God by pouring her life, giving her strength to those around her. It's not about taking it, but it's giving her strength to those around her. She works hard. I mean, this is a hardworking woman. Matter of fact, I got a little excited when it talked about she doesn't let her wick go out at night thinking, man, she's a workaholic. She's staying up. She gets up before light, which is clear. But then she's even working at night. But no, that's not the case. Culturally, what they did is they had a lamp that they would keep lit um, all night in case somebody in the household needed to get up. That was the woman's job. So they'd have light to keep from getting hurt. 
tripping over each other when they slept on the floor. So she would make sure there's enough oil or whatever on that candle or that lamp so that it was lit all the night. So that was a, uh, a rabbit trail that I didn't go down. But her life is focused on the betterment of the others. Uh, is, she, is she that picture of the ragged mother in the worn out um, bathrobe with 12 kids behind her all pulling on her robe, you know, curlers in her hair? No, she takes care of herself. She uses her own talents, artistic abilities and the strengths that God has given her to care for herself as well. She is dressed in fine linens and purple as well. So, no, she doesn't fit that picture. She's styling, you might say. And she takes great delight in all this because it is fulfilling the soul the way it was meant to live for the glory of God, for the love of God. So. We might ask ourselves, just for application, who is in our divine sphere? We all have our own little circle. And I call it a divine sphere because God, in His sovereignty, purposely puts specific people in our path. We are intentionally born into the family that we have. We intentionally have the parents we have, the siblings that we have. Who is in our divine sphere, our little circle? Who's in our garden? Our parents, our spouses, our brothers, our sisters, our children, which individuals, our cousins, our grandparents, extended family, co-workers, schoolmates, who's in our little community and our little circle. And once we determine that, ask ourselves, what is my role and my responsibility to care for each one? How does God want me to minister Because each one is different. Each one is unique. Also created in the image of God. How can I care for them? How can I minister to them? What difference would it make in their lives if if I began to give them more of myself? More of my strength. More of my talents. More of what God has invested in me. What kind of impact would it make on their lives? In their little sphere. If I were to focus on their comfort and their gain. As opposed to my own. The way I see it is I think about having preached on Proverbs the last two Sundays. Think about manhood and womanhood in the family. God has given us a beautiful mosaic of how things ought to be in his, in his uh, creation. This is creation theology. This is beautiful mosaic and everything that God creates has a very unique purpose, significance, and it's all designed to function in a certain way. And, you, and when you take the individual pieces and you put them together, that's what you have in original creation. And what our, what our culture has been working hard to do is if you think of it as not just a mosaic, but a, a, um, a puzzle that's complete. God gives us the puzzle that's complete. And the, our society is taking all the little pieces of the puzzle, mixing them all up. And trying to fit them together where they don't fit. Our society says that we have to rearrange the way we think. And get away from the traditional values in particularly Christian. Because it's not good for us. And so they'll take the puzzle pieces that are meant to fit together. And just say, no, we're going to fit these together. So now we have you know, man and man or woman and woman. We have the big gender debates. We have homosexual marriage. We have 
uh, people wondering who are children, what are they are about, who's really responsible for children, parents or the state. In the courts, that argument is being had, and we don't hear much about it. But parents are losing rights over nurturing their own children. Don't be surprised if the state continues to tell you what you can and cannot do with your kids because they're convinced that they know better. In other words, they're just trying to re take out all the puzzle pieces, mix them up and put them back together and make them fit according to how they think society ought to operate. They're convinced that society would be better if they did it their way. And yet God has given us this finished picture where all the pieces fit beautifully together. And we, when we see that and embrace that for our lives and not chase after these other things, that's where the blessing comes. So the Bible says, no, society isn't blessed by taking all these things apart, especially the family unit. It starts with this institution of the family. It says, make that strong. All of you function, brothers and sisters, mom and dad, all of you function in the role that I have given you. I have, I have specifically equipped you in certain ways to fulfill your role and you make your family unit strong. That's how your society is blessed. Starts in the home, not the other way around. That's how we have a blessed society. So she's a woman who is fully given to the relationships in which God has given her. And second, what she does. How can we best describe all of these things that she's engaged in? And she is one busy woman. How can we describe them in light of creation theology or creation story? In essence, what she's doing is she's taking dominion. So she's being fruitful. She's multiplying, fulfilling that cultural mandate. She's taking dominion. What does it mean to work it and keep it? Well, we manage what God gives to us. We're stewards. And we use the gifts and the talents and the abilities. And we all have different strengths and weaknesses. And we, we bring those to the table. And we organize things. We manage things. We try to maximize things to the glory of God. Maximize the, the wool and the flax. You know, maximize the can of peas. Or maximize the garden space. And how much we can plant. And how much we can harvest. And how much we can store. Maximize. Stretch the dollar. Stretch the penny. Maximize the deals. That's that's taking dominion over the things that God has put in our lives and in these relationships. So in the context of her garden, she's managing it. She's caring for it. She's even taking the initiative to think ahead. And that's why she says, you know, the days to come, I laugh at the days to come. How could she say that? Well, because if we get that big snowstorm they're talking about, I've got plenty of blankets already. To keep my family warm with. And we've got lots of clothes. We have food in the pantry. Because she's worked hard to put these things away. So she's even taken the initiative to care for her family in the future. That's taking dominion. That's exercising rule. She's a true daughter of Eve. A queen upon the earth. And that is how and what you ladies are meant to be. A true daughter of Eve, a queen upon the earth, taking dominion. She plants that garden, figures out what seed to buy, how much, what to plant, what's going to make the most profit this year. She joyfully applies herself to whatever she is able to do to benefit her family. 
and her hard work is glorifying to God. God worked six days and rested one, and we reflect his image by working hard. And it also benefits others, finding her place. And it's also bringing satisfaction to her heart because that's what she was created to do. When we do what we're created to do, we are the most satisfied and fulfilled. And so she's managing this for the glory of God. And notice here that talk about the argument between, you know, do moms, are moms chained to the home? Are they allowed to leave the home? Are they allowed to seek uh, any kind of income outside the home? This woman did. Uh, she goes far to find good deals. She also goes out. She has her business there with the produce and also the material. She does what she needs to do. The, the emphasis here is that she's not doing it for self-glorification. She does it for the betterment of her family, to, to work and to take dominion over the garden that God has given her. See, that attitude there is, <clears throat> what can I do for others? And I think we all have, will wrestle with, this is like a deep kingdom issue. It's not so much about, if you step out of the door, are you wrong scripturally because scripture says stay at home. What's the big picture behind it? The big picture is where's your heart? Is your heart to live for the glory of God? And if so, what has God said in his word that it looks like for you to live his will out, whether you're a man or a woman? And it's doing that. So we can work outside the home and glorify God if it's with the right attitude and motive of worship. We can also do that same thing and not be glorifying God because it turned to self-glorification. Works both ways for men and women. But it's not, she doesn't get bogged down with this because her heart is true and right. She knows her motives and she is doing this for the betterment of those in her charge. Here's another big picture thing that's very, very important that I don't want to miss. Just, just stop and think about her place in the story of redemption. Talk about motherhood being taken for granted. It is so taken for granted because it is absolutely so important. Every every act that that a mother produces is so, so important in the story of redemptive history, because what this woman in doing is doing in essence is she is holding back the curse that the world is under by giving herself, by sharing her strength, by looking out for others. She is holding back how evil the people in her household could become and how evil and, and, and impoverished materially, physically and spiritually they could become. She's limiting by taking such good care of her family. She is limiting the effects of the fall and understand the effects of the fall are, are always pushing in on, on us like atmospheric pressure. Like you feel it in your ears when you're in a plane. There's this pressure of evil. It wants in. It wants in any area of your life that it can get. You just give it a little bit. It's always pressure there. It's not. There's no neutral ground here. We're in a battle. And she limits the effects of the sins. Just take a very simple example of how beautiful this is. So little Junior comes to mom and he's got, he really has scraped his knee. It's not a fake injury. 
Um, it's a real injury this time. He's got a scrape. And he comes to mom and he's crying. And he needs mom, mom's ministry. And so what does mom do? She reaches into the, into the, pant, the cupboard cabinet and she gets the neosporin and the band-aid out. And she's, he's just, tears are just pouring down his little face. And she cleans the little wound, gets the grit out of it, the dirt, whatever. And then she puts that little band-aid on it. She is, she is being a doctor right there. And it might seem like such a simple thing, but she's killing the infection. And she is holding back the potential sin and ruin. You know, sin would want that knee to be infected. Sin would want that, that leg to be infected. Sin would want that life to be infected. Sin would want that person to be physically impaired. And if you just think about this thing that we do every day and never even give it a second thought, that is an incredible act right there, holding back the effects of sin by administering proper medical attention. And then what does the mom do after putting the Band-Aid on? Usually kisses the wound or kisses them on the forehead and said, you're going to be okay. What does she just do there? She just held back the, the effects of potential sin. Because what do kids need? They need to know they're safe. They need to know their love. And she just said, I love you. I care about you. When you get hurt, I'm your safe place. You can come here. Sin wants that little boy to believe, you know what? You can get hurt and nobody cares about you. You're all on your own. Your mom doesn't care about you. Your dad doesn't care about you. Your friends or your brothers and sisters. Look at you. You're just left. Nobody cares. That's what sin wants to do to little minds. And that simple act of a band-aid and a kiss on the forehead just communicated the redemptive love of God. Little things like that change the world. It changed the world. Changes the it, it, it's directing the course of people's life or lives. It is incredible the impact. We look at it and we just dismiss it as if it's we take it for granted. It's no big deal. It is a huge deal. She laughs at the days to come because her family's taken care of. She's holding back the effects of sin. They're not going to starve to death. They're not going to freeze to death in that culture. Because she is working so hard and diligently and loving them through that and worshiping God through that. She's praising her children for their accomplishments. The kids need to know that they matter, that, that they, they have something to offer the world. And so when you bring, they bring you that picture, you say, that's wonderful, it's beautiful. Look, you stayed within the lines, you used just the right colors. Things that moms do every day are filling their little hearts and growing them in the right direction and, and, and keeping the evil out that wants to tell children, you're worthless. You got nothing here. You have no place here. Do kids struggle with that? Sure, we know they do. Hadn't been that long ago since we were in those very... So she's an artisan, an earthly portrait of God reflecting the nature of God in her work and her service. And because she's willing to do that and to take a dominion, she's making a real difference. 
Another thing we don't want to gloss over. By the way, that the last two points are a lot shorter than the first two. If you're, if you're thinking, man, I got a Mother's Day meal and we're not going to get in the restaurant in time, I'll speed it up a little bit. But I just want to say, she is making a real difference. It's the beautiful significance of humanity. Our decisions count. Our lives matter. What we do with them matter. We really have an impact. It's like throwing that pebble in the pond. It just has, every choice has this rippling effect. And the sovereignty of God says he reigns and rules everything. He's always one step ahead of us. But what we do really matters and plays a part in his kingdom. And so all these decisions that moms are making for the betterment of their household and for their family to to kiss a little wound, to encourage a person in their picture making, to make sure that the supplies are there if that's her job. They, they are impacting the world. Making the most of every opportunity. She's a friend of those in need. Reaching out into the, the community. Comforting the hurt and the grieving. So we need to ask ourselves, you know, what difference is my life making right now? What kind of wake am I leaving? What kind of story Am I writing? And then third, what she thinks, just quickly. What is she thinking? She's thinking the very thoughts of God. Well, how can you say that? Can you be an excellent wife if you're not thinking the thoughts of God? I don't think so. And he says, this, this, you surpass them all. That is done by imbibing the word of God, wanting to live uh, in the image of Christ, wanting to live out the laws of God. What does that look like with human flesh? That's what she does in her marriage. That's what she does in her motherhood. She's thinking the thoughts of God. She has kind thoughts and thoughts of praise and glory for the Lord. How can I make your life better? How can I ease your burden? What one thing in your life do you need the most from me where I can help you be more God-like or more Christ-like? Or where I can help your light shine brighter? How can I be used by God in my family or in my neighborhood or my community? Who is in need of my unique ministry? She's anxious to have her mind renewed by the law and the word of God. That's why it says that she's a woman that fears the Lord. That means that she acknowledges him and his ways. So it's a reminder of all of us even to think about where we've been planted in our garden, in our sphere. Do we desire our minds, as Romans says, to be transformed, to be renewed, to think the thoughts of God in our role, in our responsibilities? And then lastly, uh, what she speaks, verse 26, she opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. So as a personification of wisdom, she cares about what she says. She thinks about what she says before she speaks it. She wants to make sure that it's uplifting, that it's edifying, that it points people to Christ, that it brings the good out of people and doesn't incite them to evil. She doesn't entertain evil conversation. She's probably one of those mothers that will wash your mouth out with soap if you're a kid in the house and she hears you say something that is inappropriate. And James reminds us that the speech that comes out of our mouths is a reflection of our hearts. And what comes out, you see, this is a a woman that has a pure heart. She has a pure heart 
before God Almighty. And so we might ask ourselves, do my words reveal a consistency of heart? Do they reveal a purity of heart? What does my conversation with people reveal about my heart? Do they see an ungrateful person? Do they see a, a, a bitter person? A person that's stuck on something and can't let it go? Or, or a positive, upbeat person, a grateful person, a, a thankful person? She's a woman whose mouth is filled with wisdom and grace. And then this last one, I can't resist. But the most important characteristic of all is that she is a mother that works out. She, verse 17, she dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. Active wear. She has a lifetime membership to family fitness. She doesn't just iron. She pumps iron. It's right there in Scripture. She makes her arms strong. She's beast. She lifts the furniture. She carries her linens into town on her back, her wool, her flax. Okay, she has big arms. Anyway, that's the last. So, in conclusion... In conclusion, you might think, well, how can this not be discouraging? She is practically perfect. Well, that's the idea. And that's why it's not discouraging. It's not discouraging because she is presented to us as this model. A model of what? A model of what can be. A model of what a woman can look like if she allows all of Christ into her heart and lives a life that reflects his glory. So this is this is an image. It's, it's something to ascribe to, to reach to, to to um, to make the relationships in our lives that God has put in there the absolute priority and to give our hearts fully to those to have the courage to step out in faith intensely uh, to crown the Lord with glory, to take dominion over these things, to watch her speech and to watch, to let our minds be renewed with Christ. So she is this encouragement. Now, let's just think as we wind down, if we just took one of these areas in our lives and we fixed it on somebody in our life that God has placed there, what kind of impact could we make on that person? God gives us what we need to minister. He gives us what we need through the gospel to change, to to be used to change other people's lives with our speech, with our behavior. What can we do to change and to influence and to make history? It's right there. So think about the example and the potential that you have as a woman and as a mother and be encouraged in the gospel of Jesus Christ. May God bless the preaching of his word. Bless you today, moms.